Not too long ago, I returned from this year's ABA Litigation Section's annual conference, which was a unique opportunity to improve my litigation skills and to learn how to help my clients tell their stories at trial. It was also a great opportunity to network with some of the smartest litigators from across the country. This gives me a large national network to whom I can refer cases if a client has legal issues that are outside of my expertise. And for those of us in a law firm, building a large network is also extremely helpful to business development, helping bring referrals and new clients into the firm, putting associates on the partnership track, and helping partners keep their teams busy. But how do we put that network to work? Without turning people off and ruining friendships? Well, to discuss answers to these questions, I'm pleased to welcome my business development coach and good friend, Steve Fretzen, to the show. Driven, focused, and passionate, Steve Fretzen is regarded as the premier coach, skills trainer, and thought leader on business development for lawyers. Over the past 17 years, Steve has devoted his career to helping lawyers learn what they have never learned in law school, namely business development and marketing. And the goal for Steve's clients is to live the best possible life with balance, control, and freedom. In addition to writing four books on legal marketing and business development, Steve has a highly rated podcast, Be That Lawyer, and has monthly columns in the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin and Legal Business World Magazine. Welcome to the show, Steve. Hey, thanks for having me, Dave. Good to be here. Well, let's start just kind of from the very beginning. We have a lot of young lawyers who listen to the podcast as well as some experienced lawyers who I think need a reminder, but why should a lawyer build a book of business? Yeah, it's a really, really good question. And I think if you go back, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, the, you know, generally, and when my father practiced law, you know, there were rainmakers that, you know, were at the golf courses, at the private country club, smoking cigars, you know, three martini, you know, dinner, lunches and all that stuff. And those were the ones that fed everybody. And over the course of time, those things have kind of gone away and, and it's, it's become a whole different world. But ultimately what's going on is that lawyers are starting to realize that the only true freedom and control they have in their careers is by having their own clients. And so so a lawyer wants to change a law firm and go to a different platform, talks to a recruiter, and the recruiter's first question is going to be, what's your book of business? You know, meaning what do you have to take with you that's going to be a value to this other firm? Not what are your talents and experiences, not how many trials have you won, not all this and that and the other. So it's really come to the forefront where having that book of business has become maybe the second most important thing for a lawyer next to being a great lawyer. So talk more about freedom, because I think people think lawyers are busy people. They don't really have time for a lot of things. How does building a book of business give you freedom in your in your life? Well, in some ways, you know, if you think about being, you know, the worker bee attorney that, you know, cranks out work all day and then goes home and comes back the next day and does it again and again and again, you know, there's some level of a shelf life based on the business being sustainable, the practice area being necessary the ability for the partners above that individual to keep feeding uh, that business to that, you know, to that, that worker bee attorney. And so what happens is if, if a recession hits like it did in 2008, we don't know what's going to happen right now with between the banking crisis and the debt ceiling and all the things that the government's going through, what's going to happen with the economy. Um, There's just so many different things happening. And at the same time, Lawyers are, you know, maybe having, you know, four or five different rainmakers feed them work. They're dealing with five bosses from an internal standpoint. Then they're also dealing with a bunch of clients. So they might have five or 10 bosses from a standpoint of clients, you know, demanding things. And over time, it just becomes very, very difficult for a lawyer to really feel like they're free when they have five or 10 or 15 bosses 
you know, asking for things and demanding things. And they're working weekends, they're working evenings, they've got their phone with them at all times. And it becomes a very difficult way to really feel like you're in control or that you're free as a, as a human being, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a lawyer. And in terms of control, you're really able to then, once you have a book of business, decide who's going to work on what, you'll be able to, what, decide you can basically work on the most interesting matters, most interesting cases. And that that's a big piece of it too. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, not maybe not from day one. I mean, there's a price to pay for anything you want to be great at. If you want to be a great chef or a great athlete, there's a sacrifice that goes into it. And business development is no different. You're going to have to put in your time and you know, what I'm working on with lawyers every day and, and, and you as well, Dave, is helping them come up with more efficient, effective ways of doing it. But ultimately, the, at the end of the day, you know, if you have your own clients, you pick and choose the clients you want to work with. Maybe it's because they're nice people versus, you know, crazy people or, or egomaniacs. Maybe um, you're in a position where you can bring in business that you then feed off not only the direct business that you might handle, but also cross marketing because your firm might be full service or have other deliverables that you can then bring in the business, get the origination on it, and then hand it out to other folks. So there's just a lot of different ways that you control things, having your own clients at your firm. Now, the other side of it is if things turn, the firm gets bought, your managing partner is, uh, you know, a maniac, whatever it might, might happen. We don't know what's, what's, you know, they, they start, you know, reducing staff. You end up doing, you know, very low level paralegal associate work as a 20 year attorney. You want to be in a position to take your book of business and your clients and you want to go find a better platform or be able to take your uh, clients and go off on your own. And that's happening at, at the highest level that maybe I've ever seen in the industry in the last you know 20 years. So it's just, it's just control and freedom have become two of the most important words for lawyers and the ones that aren't thinking that way. Um, maybe fine for now, but if you if they think forward into the five and ten years into the future, they may reg- make you know have some regrets that they didn't start developing relationships, developing clients, and really working on becoming a student of business development and marketing now. Because I'm dealing with people in some cases, Dave, where they're in their fifties and sixties, and they you know things have slowed down. You know the roller coasters at the, at the bottom, not at the top, and they're they're kind of kicking themselves that they didn't do some things earlier in their career. Sure. And, and let's talk about time management, because I think one of the biggest barriers to business development seems to be just not having enough time or I guess rather not making time to do business development, because there are so many things that that are going on in our lives. What, what are some of your tips for, for time management and, and making time in your schedule for business development? Yeah, and I'll start off with a, with a cute story about my grandfather back when he was in his 80s and he got a call from the library. He had failed to return a book that was long overdue. And uh, he said, well, what's the book? And they said, it's how to improve your memory. Right. (laughs) So, you know, that's a great illustration of, of why it's so important to be a student of, of not only business development, but, but maybe even before that time management, if you're not able to manage your time in an efficient, effective way, and you spend your entire day in your inbox, you're not delegating. You're just, I'll just, it's easier to do it myself. I mean, there's a, a lot of these, sayings that we, you know, tell ourselves to, to make ourselves feel better. But ultimately we need to become efficient at how we manage our day or the day is going to have you instead of you having the day. So just as an example, years ago, I read a book called Getting Things Done by David Allen. It's, it's absolutely one of my favorites. And that I was the 
adult ADHD with stacks of files and stacks of business cards and, 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 uh, you know, 500 unopened emails and just, you name it. I was, I was that guy. And I read the book and I went through some of the things that it was teaching me. And I, you know, I, I try to be a student of it. You know, fast forward, I have no paper in my office. I have no unopened emails. Everything's been dealt with. I'm structure for how my calendar works, how I set appointments. And my life has become so much better. I not only have free time, but I also have, um, you know, just no disorder. And I just, and I'm not, that's not how I'm built, Dave. I'm built like a feather on the wind. I mean, I'm not, you know, that guy, but I had to become that guy, not only for myself and my own sanity, but also I teach lawyers how to do this themselves. And, and again, if I'm not living it and breathing it every day, you know, then it makes me a bit of a hypocrite if I'm teaching people things I'm not doing. Sure. And, and what I love about you is that you have these resources and I actually have uh, that book that you mentioned um, on my couch and I, I was reading it a little bit last night and making my way through it. I think, you know, one of the things that I think has helped me is actually calendaring a lot of things, including not only just kind of the events and, and lunches that I'm going to or planning to go to in the future, because that helps kind of with my whole life and, and work schedule as well, but then also making time in your calendar for the specific tasks that you need that I'm doing in terms of like writing articles and, you know, just, and even the things that I'm, that I'm doing with you in terms of like crafting uh, my 30 second elevator pitch and that sort of thing. Um, that, that seems to be extremely helpful as well. Yeah. I mean, I just met with a, um, a young man, he's a intellectual property attorney. We had lunch together and I said to him, why, why did you show up here on time to meet with me? And he goes, well, if I didn't, you'd be angry and I'd feel bad. And I said, Yet when we have to do something where we don't involve someone else, it's seem seemingly okay for us to just blow it off. And that's not the case. In, in fact, it when we commit to things and we blow them off, it chips away at our at our attitude, at our belief in ourselves and our in our ability to be effective with what whatever we're trying to accomplish. So the fact that we can utilize tools like calendaring to commit to things that we need to get done, things that are that you know maybe aren't is time sensitive, is something that has to happen right this moment. And so uh, there's a bunch of rules that you know we need to follow as it relates to time management to to keep that efficiency going. And you know again, if it's something you can knock off your plate real fast, you know great, do it. And if it's something that's going to take you you know some time to do and you need to really schedule it, well then schedule it, but don't blow it off unless you have some emergency in which case you need to maybe just move it to the next day, you have to get it done. Otherwise, things just drag out and drag out and you procrastinate and things pile up. And again, it just makes, even on a subconscious level, Dave, it might make us feel really bad. We just may not register that, but they add up. You know, the, the dirty garage that you're supposed to clean that you don't clean, you know, year after year, it adds up in your psyche. Yeah, and it's something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, which is kind of keeping promises to yourself. And when you don't keep promises to yourself, how that makes you feel and how that impacts your confidence and your ability to to be strong in front of other people as well. If you don't believe in yourself, how are how are potential clients or you know strategic partners going to believe in you? I think I I truly believe in that power, and that's why you know for myself, kind of keeping those promises is super important to me at least. Yeah. Again, it's, it's a matter of, uh, of moving forward and doing the things that need to get done to accomplish the goals you have in your life, whether that's health and wellness, whether that's business development. I mean, trust me when I tell you, and you know, this, you know, lawyers are busy billing hours. They're built, they're busy with all the internal stuff going on in their, in their world. Business development's always going to get pushed down. 
You know, that unless that's someone's, you know, sole focus, it's always going to get be the last thing on their list of things that they, they have to do or want to do. So it really does take a concerted effort for people to schedule and, and execute on business development every week or every month or every day or whatever it is that you need to, to do to, to, to get where you want to go. And you'll feel good after doing it. You sent out five emails, you got three meetings out of it, and you did that on a Monday. It happened naturally through the course of the week. You should feel good. You should feel like, hey, you know what? I, I did something I knew that's important to my career and I executed on it and, and good things are happening because of it. And if you don't do it, well, it's going to go month after month after month where, again, you feel that that pressure and that negativity, you know, kind of weighing, weighing down on you. Right. So let's, uh, let's talk about networking. As I mentioned, kind of at the top, you know, we do these, you know, ABA conferences, maybe a local bar conference, maybe, you know, people are in networking groups. What is the kind of the key, do you think, to, to building a network that I think that works for you in terms of business development? Because, you know, you can make friends all you want, but it doesn't help necessarily your law practice just to have friends. You need to have friends that kind of help build business. Do you, do you see kind of the, uh, the dichotomy there? Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the, I think the first line, so my second book is called the attorney's networking handbook. And I think I start off the book by saying no one has networked and wasted more time that I know of than I have. <laughs> like I was, I was out there, you know, three, four nights a week meeting two, three people a day I mean, I was doing, you know, number one, all the networking I can do. Number two is I read a great book that said, hey, when you meet people, you need to figure out how to help them. So I was buying things. I was trying to connect them. I was doing anything and everything I could to kind of build karma. And it hit me after doing this for about six months that it really wasn't productive. It was great from a, from a karma building exercise standpoint and from building out a network that maybe was wide. And by wide, I mean, you know, many people knew me, knew of me because we'd met and I'd helped them in some way. And that's all very, very positive. But it wasn't done intelligently. And the reason is, is because I hadn't figured something out and I'll share what I figured out, which is that that building a network deep isn't really the key. It's, it's one of the keys. Uh, you know, that's a branding element more than anything. It's really about building it deep. And by deep, what I mean is that there are certain people that are more likely to refer you than others. Um, and if you can find those people who are running across one, three, five, ten matters a year that they don't do, but you do, uh, or that that they could collaborate on with you, that's going to be a far better use of your time. So instead of trying to meet and follow through with you know hundreds of people, maybe you're going to do that. But but the point is to meet five to ten people that you can meet with regularly and that are regularly sending you work, you can regularly send them work or add some value in some way, shape, or form. And that's ultimately going to be not only great for your time, but great from a, a strategy standpoint. And so we call these, you know, some people can call them referral partners. I call them strategic partners. And again, so for me, I'll give an example, like I'm a lawyer coach and we, I mentioned earlier about recruiters. Well, recruiters are meeting with lawyers all the time. And in many cases, they're not portable or not able to move their book of business because they don't have one or they don't have a big enough one. And so these, these recruiters are fantastic for me because when they meet somebody that they're not ready to move, they say, hey, you got to get from a half a million to a million. You probably need to talk with Steve Fretzen. He's the one that can help you get to those kinds of numbers you know, as fast as possible because I know you're not happy where you are. So I have found that recruiters are, you know, a phenomenal resource for me. Other folks that work in legal operations, management, leadership, executive coaching, things like that. So, you know, is, you know, you as a litigator need to consider 
who are the best strategic partners for you and network to meet those folks. It's not likely that you're going to go to a networking event and meet a GC or meet a CEO that's got the exact kind of business for you. If that happens, great. But ultimately, you want to meet other lawyers and other business professionals that are highly likely to be able to refer you, again, if uh, you can build a relationship with them and, and they, they understand your value in the space. So, you know, this, the people who listen to this podcast are, you know, uh, litigators and, and law students and some paralegals I've heard who've reached out to me. So for litigators specifically, give, can you give me an example of someone who would be a good strategic partner? And I know there are lots of, you know, practice areas, you know, securities lawyers and trademark litigators and, and that sort of thing. But just talk, talking about just like your, your general commercial litigator, who, who would be a good strategic partner for someone like that? Well, I mean, the natural the natural way to go is is to work through, you know, and say, hey, transactional attorneys that don't do the litigation, because when someone that, you know, is their client, it's a multi-million dollar company and they're dealing with the general counsel or the CEO and they have, a you know, an employment issue or they have a commercial litigation matter. Who are they going to, whose name is, is going to be dropped? Whose name are they going to, are they going to bring in for that, for that situation? And you want it to be you. But if you don't know that transactional attorney that that's coming across these opportunities three, four times a year, whatever the number might be, well, you know, shame on you. I mean, that's the thing. You have to be out there, you know, meeting these good people that have this business because if you're not, someone else is. So that's Got just it. one example. Uh, you know, I'll tell you a really good one too is um, labor and employment. You know, there's there's folks on both sides. There's the, the defense side and there's the plaintiff side. And I found that they, they work really well together. You know, a, a defense side gets hit up. Hey, I've got a friend that is having a problem with her company. Well, I don't do that. I only handle defense. You should talk to this, you know, attorney over here. And that's where a lot of the plaintiff side attorneys get their business in in, in this area and in Chicago in particular. And I can name the the top three because I'm friends with them all and they're many, many ways clients of mine is, you know, they, they get referred, you know, they just get referred by, by even their opposition. It may not even matter because people just want the right person for their client, for their friend, and so I think that's, you know, that's where you want to look is, is who's synergistic to you, but does something different. Or even in some cases, listen to this, Dave, does the same thing, but maybe at a double, at a, at a different level, or that may have conflicts, right? So you deal with, with larger firms and mid-market firms, you know, you're dealing with their litigators, but guess what? You know, their litigators get conflicted out on something and you're their second choice and they're, they're going to send you three, four, five matters a year. Well, who'd have thought that your competition is actually someone that's able to refer you? Well, that happens too. Yeah. And I've also seen kind of the opposite, which is folks who are either at a solo or small firm who don't necessarily have the ability to do large scale complex litigation. Some of those folks have even reached out to me to say, hey, I would like to either just refer the matter to you or alternatively, work as kind of a co-counsel where maybe your firm is doing, you know, my firm is doing the, you know, the, the discovery and, and writing the briefs and doing the, the research and the smaller uh, firm attorney, solo attorney is doing kind of the relationship management with the client, kind of taking the overall lead. So that's a, a great way um, to, to work that relationship as well. Right on. And it also occurs to me in terms of, you know, civility, uh, you talked about you know, that cases can come from your opposition, which is true. And and actually, one of my partners in Chicago is great at, at this, which is, you know, you're, you're making you're developing a relationship with opposing counsel. So you can get you can also get cases from them after the fact, um, after your case is over, they might say, hey, you know, this guy was really smart. 
Um, he's, he's a great guy. He's, he could possibly, you know, do work on a case that I need to refer because of a conflict or whatever. So I think maintaining kind of a, a civil tone, friendly tone, even when um, uh, dealing with uh, opposing counsel, I think is helpful as well. Yeah. I mean, I gave you a grandpa story. I'll give you a Larry, the lawyer story. That's my dad. <laughs> and he, uh, the first networking event I ever went to was, an, and I'm in the Chicagoland area with you in the, in the Northbrook chamber. And this, I had my name badge on and some, some angry looking guy comes up to me and he looks at me and he looks at my badge. He goes, your name's Fretzen, huh? I go, yeah. He goes, uh, your father represented my wife in our divorce. And I was like, oh, okay. He, goes, <laughs> he was fantastic. My lawyer was a, was a disgrace. Your dad ran circles around him. And I was like, oh, Larry's going to love this, <laughs> you know, but it just goes to show, you know, like, you know, treating people right and building relationships, even with your opposition. And, you know, you never know where the business is going to come from. So, you know, the one thing my father used to always say is, you know, if you can't make, if you can't, you know, make a, a deal, make a friend. And I think what he generally meant by that was just, you know, there's relationships everywhere and you never know who's going to, you know, think kindly of you and, and, and how good you are, what you do. And so you want to make sure that you, you build good relationships and, and keep in the loop with people because it, it can happen at any moment. Absolutely. So let's talk about somebody like me who um, has kind of a large uh, network nationally and kind of locally. And let's just say the lawyer is not, not getting a lot of business from these folks, but enjoys, you know, going to conferences such as, you know, the litigation section um, events. How do you, what is the kind of the theory, the, your, the philosophy around kind of turning that those friendships into folks who can refer you business or folks who are in-house that you see on a regular basis at these events into clients? Yeah, that's a great question. And and uh, I think we've, we've referred to it as being in the friend zone, right? Where, you know, you're meeting with someone who's a GC, good friend of yours, but has never really thought of you as someone that could handle the work. Meanwhile, it's like right in your sweet spot. And it's just killing you every time you see, you know, him or her. And so there are some people that you're so, that you're so close with that you could just get up the gumption and say, you know, is there a reason we're not working together? Like, I know we're friends, but, you know, come on, like, let's, can we have a conversation here? And most attorneys are going to reject that across the board. They don't want to put themselves in that spot and, and they're going to, they're going to want a softer approach, right? So there's a few people in your life that maybe you'd feel comfortable, you know, having that kind of straightforward approach with. And then I have some clients that I could say, you know, Hey, you need to send me some lawyers to talk to. And, and they, they say no problem at all. But for the majority of us humans, right, we are very concerned about, about losing a friend or putting that friendship up for grabs. And so what I try to, you know, recommend to attorneys is, you know, to, to go out for a drink or dinner or lunch, whatever it might be, and be really curious about their business. And maybe it's something you've talked about in the past. Maybe it's not. But if you ask a lot of questions and you learn about their job and learn about their company and, and, and you really, you know, dig in a little bit and just be super curious, which is okay, because that's sort of what you should be as a lawyer anyway, is they start telling you things and in, in, in things that might be problems that they're having, legal problems, business problems, and don't try to solve anything right away, but listen, just be a good listener, demonstrate empathy. And as it happens deeper and deeper, there might be an opportunity for you to say, listen, the kinds of things that you're telling me, John, are, you know, kind of right in my wheelhouse. And again, I don't want to do anything to, to upset the apple cart, our friendship, but I, you know, I'd be remiss not to say like, this is exactly what I do every day. You know, would you 
be open to having a, you know, a conversation about this and maybe with your boss or with, uh, you know, your, you know, if there's someone else involved and, or, or just to have that conversation and see what the person says. If they say, I'm not comfortable with that, you know, or we we're happy with who we're with or whatever, then, okay, you can let it go. But I think instead of making an ask, just by asking questions, being a good listener and, and, and trying to identify and open up things when their opportunities exist, that may be a way to kind of creak the door open a little bit. And then if they're interested, then you can swing it even open further. But the thing that we're afraid of is losing the friendship. And, and it just, as long as you have a soft approach, that's non-salesy and it's really just all about them and you being a good listener, very hard to mess, you know, to mess with the friendship, just doing that. Yeah. I think a lot of people are afraid of taking a sales approach to things. And, you know, that's why I kind of appreciate your approach. And that's why I work with you, which is, you know, you have a, a sales free selling approach, but the important thing, you know, that what I'm getting out of our conversation today is kind of two things, which is you got to have some courage and gumption, I think is the way that you put it to put yourself out there, which I think is hard for a lot of people, including me, but also kind of get, you gain confidence by by practicing. Um, so you have so you really think about, you know, the like changing the questions, like you said, which is, you know, asking folks about their business. You really have to, I think, practice doing that, maybe even write down, you know, a script for yourself, not necessarily bringing it into the meeting, of course, but, you know, thinking about these are the questions I really want to ask and maybe check in with yourself during, you know, a, a lunch or, or a meeting in terms of like, am I getting what I, what I would like to out of this conversation? Because I mean, so many times, and this happened to me yesterday, um, I was having lunch with a friend of mine who was, who's at a big firm. He practices environmental law, refers me cases all the time. And there was a specific thing I wanted to raise with him, which was, you know, people who have, who have left the firm, who are at small firms, who might want to be able to do this kind of co-counsel relationship with me. And I totally forgot to ask him. So I, you know, talked to him afterwards about it, but um, kind of reminding yourself when you're in these meetings to, of, of the point of what you're doing, I think is really important as well. Yeah. I mean, ultimately there's some courage necessary to do anything in life that you want to excel in. I mean, I, I don't think anybody gets, gets out of that. <laughs> you know, I get it gets out of being successful from, from being a coward. Right. So I think it's a lot of it comes down to having, you know, some form of a process or some form of, of comfortable language that you can use to take some of the, the, or all of the salesiness out of it. And as you mentioned, I've been teaching sales-free selling now for, for many, many years to lawyers and they love it because what they're looking for is they're looking for structure and process and they're looking for soft language that they can use that's not going to upset the apple cart. And so I'll give you one more, Dave, just kind of as, a, as and you've heard this before, but I just, again, was sharing this with, with this, um, P, uh, this IP attorney I met for lunch was he, he's got 300 clients, all right, that he hasn't talked to. He did the deal for them and he's done with them and that's it. And they move on and he moves on. I go, no, 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 no. You have 300 clients that you need to call and you need to set meetings up with them. And he goes, well, I'm very uncomfortable with that. I say, I know. So when you're talking to them, you're going to say something like, look, I don't, you know, you're going to ask for introductions to other business owners. And he, and he said, well, how am I going to do that? I said, all right, so here's the language. You're going to say something like, look, I'm pretty uncomfortable bringing this up, John, because it goes so against the grain for me. And I'm, I'm just such an introvert. It's really weird uh, that I'm even bringing this up. But um, I know you're well connected with with a number of business owners in the community. And, and, I, and I think you have been very happy with the work I've done. Um, and I would just, I'd love the opportunity to help some of the other, you know, business owners in the same way I've helped you, but I don't want to overstep any boundaries. I feel, like I said, I feel uncomfortable bringing this up from the, from the get go. 
and then zip your lip and wait and watch what's going to happen. That client is going to absolutely fall all over him. You're the best. You're great. Uh, who do you want to meet? How can I get you? What do you want me to say? They're going to, and that's, that's the sort of a bittersweet feeling because on one hand, it feels great that they're willing to step up for you and to, and to get people in front of you. On the other hand, you're going to go, darn, why didn't I do this years ago? Why have I waited all this time to ask, you know, for something that, that could happen so easily? And so it's a little bit of bittersweetness, but uh, to your point, once you get it and you get, you know, lawyers love evidence and proof, right? So once you get some evidence and proof that, that clients actually want to refer you, they actually enjoy bringing good lawyers to good people, you know, CEOs and GCs, et cetera, that um, everybody can feel good and win in that scenario, you know, and it's just, that's just, you have to, you have to consider that, that, that may be a a potential outcome. So do clients actually want to meet their lawyer outside of the business context? I think a lot of lawyers kind of feel like, you know, we have this matter going and these people don't want to talk to me because they think I'm billing them for something. If I meet with them, for example, how, how, how do you get around that kind of attitude and, and how do you approach a client who is doing, you're doing some work for, but you want to kind of, you know, meet them for lunch or for coffee or whatever to kind of broach this business development topic. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's sort of like a one, two punch situation. Number one is if all you're doing on the phone and, and with that client is talking about the matter and there's nothing personal going on, you don't know about their children, you don't know about their travel, you don't know about their obsession with, you know, you know, the band Rush, whatever it might be, then you're setting yourself up to fail because you're not really building the strongest relationship you can. And that relationship is going to potentially be, a, you know, a, a long-term one. So I think I think just talking about it as a transaction is probably a misstep. So I think building relationships with your clients on the phone. And again, if you're billing them for the conversation about their kids, shame on you. And that <laughs> happened to me once, by the way, with an attorney. He would talk to me for 15 minutes about my family and then bill me for it. I mean, I, I wanted it. That was brutal, you know, but so don't do that. But build a relationship and then, you know, then eventually, you know, when you get done with a matter, you feel like the timing's right to say, look, I'd love to take you out, you know, to a Bulls game or I'd love to take you out for for lunch or breakfast, whatever you want to do, just to say thank you and see how I can be more of a value add to you and your business and what you do in your career. And then actually do that. I mean, try to figure out ways to add value and help other people. There's nothing that's going to produce more business for you than being helpful and gracious and, um, and a giver. And, and I've been doing that, you know, you know me from, from class and from the people in our class, Dave. I mean, I'm going out of my way every single day to make sure everybody's getting what they need from me, not just educationally, but from a standpoint of introductions, connections, resources. And that's done intentionally, you know, A, I, a, I enjoy it. And B, I know that's going to help people to be more successful and nothing gives me greater pleasure. Well, unfortunately, we're coming to the end of our time together, Steve, and just wondering if you had any kind of final thoughts uh, for folks uh, kind of thinking about business development and networking in particular. Yeah. I mean, again, as I said, it's something that, that you know, if given your druthers, you're going to bury it, you're going to wait, you're going to put it off. And I'm just, I'm just telling you, I, I'm, I'm in, in, on the front lines of this every day, Dave, and the, the people that started in their 30s and early 40s always are going to be better that better off than the people that are in their 50s and 60s. So really consider, do you feel like you're in control? Do you feel like you have freedom? Are you tied to your inbox, to your phone? Uh, do you have your own clients or you have 10 bosses between the clients and your, and your peers at the office? 
and make a decision that business development is now a part of the legal practice that you need to, you know, kind of play ball in. Then it's a matter of, do you want to go at it on your own or do you want to, you know, read, watch, listen, hire coaches, whatever it is, get a mentor to help you get to the finish line faster. And I think it, there's a lot of content out there and a lot of people out there that are willing to help you. You just have to, you just have to, to look for them. And what's the best way for folks to uh, find you online or reach out to you if they have questions? Yeah, the easiest way is to go to my website. That's fretzin.com, F-R-E-T-Z-I-N. I'm also a big time player on LinkedIn. I'm always on LinkedIn, posting on LinkedIn, you know, content. Uh, so you can certainly reach out to me through LinkedIn and, you know, check out my podcast, Be That Lawyer. I'm interviewing, uh, coming up on 300 episodes and interviewing some of the top rainmakers, some of the uh, top legal experts in marketing, wellness, um, automation, technology, you name it. And it's just been an absolute blast and love helping attorneys, whether they work with me or not. Uh, I'm just, I'm just a fan of, of attorneys in the industry. And I appreciate you having me on the show, Dave. This was really great. Well, of course. And thank you. I always learn uh, something from you every time I talk to you and this was no exception. So thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah. Thank you. Now it's time for a quick tip from the ABA litigation section's mental health and wellness task force. And I'd like to welcome back Sharla Stevens to the show. Sharla is a lawyer and business consultant who provides workplace training, independent investigations, strategic human resources consulting, and mediation and conflict resolution services. She previously practiced law in New Hampshire and Massachusetts for more than 37 years and spent the majority of her career at McLean Middleton, a regional law firm with more than 100 lawyers, where she chaired the Employment Law Practice Group and also represented schools and healthcare practices. Welcome to the show, Sharla. Thank you, Dave. I'm very happy to be here again. What's your quick tip? So today I wanted to talk about um, something that we've been hearing a lot about in, in the media in the past week, and that is a new advisory from the United States Surgeon General talking about what he refers to as a new public health crisis, loneliness, isolation, and lack of connection. So on May 3rd, he issued a really lengthy report talking about this issue and as a prelude tells us about uh, a listening tour of America that he went on when he first took office. And at that time, he heard from people that they were feeling isolated, invisible and insignificant. He said that people of all ages and socioeconomic backgrounds from all over the country would say things like, I have to shoulder all of life's burdens by myself or if I disappear tomorrow no one will even notice. Some really troubling stuff. Um, and he learned when he came back and started some research that even before COVID-19 isolated us all from family, friends, and coworkers, adults in America were struggling with loneliness and that that disconnection affects mental, physical, and societal health. He even compared the risk of harm of isolation to that of daily cigarette smoking, and said that limited social connection increases the risk of premature death by more than 60%. And he also commented that in communities where residents feel more connected with one another, um, those communities fare better on a number of measures of population health, community safety, community resilience when natural disasters uh, strike, prosperity, civic engagement, all really good things. So he set out in that report uh, what he called a roadmap for the country to increase connection and referred to it as the six pillars to advance social connection. Um, today, I'm only going to focus on the role of a couple of aspects of society, both workplaces and individuals, 
and how we can strive to improve that connection and hopefully improve mental health. As far as workplaces, many of the suggestions are things that we've been talking about for years, especially since COVID. So they're not new. Um, they include things like making social connection a strategic priority for a business, providing training and empowering leaders and managers to promote and foster connection inside of a company or business, putting in place policies which allow people to connect and nurture relationships outside of work, and promoting flexibility in work hours and work arrangements. Um, again, these, these tips are not going to be new to any of us, but they really are focusing on the fact that things like technology, remote work, um, have really impacted our ability to connect with one another on a more connected, close basis. So for individuals, what the advisory talks about is gaining knowledge about how social connection and disconnection can impact relationships, health, and mental health. Nurture your relationships by investing time in them, increasing their frequency, duration, and the quality of the time that we spend with others. That'll include things like minimizing distractions like technology. Don't look at your cell phone when you're having a conversation with a friend, family member, or colleague. Increase participation in social and community groups, volunteer in your community, engage with people of different backgrounds and experiences, become engaged civically. These are all beneficial. Um, and it's also critical, as we often say, to be open with your family and with healthcare providers around ways that you're struggling and seek help when needed. It just is so important for us to really focus on those types of relationships with families, with coworkers. Business can help with that. We as individuals can seek out those relationships. And rather than being exhausted and retreating, you know, to our devices, to our televisions, to our cell phones, think about getting out in the community, connecting with one another, and improving those relationships that are so important to our mental health and well-being. Well, I love those tips, Sharla. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Dave. And that's all we have for our show today, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about today's episode. If you have comments or a question you'd like for me to answer on an upcoming show, you can contact me at dscrivenyoung at gmail.com and connect with me on social. I'm at AttorneyDSY on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also connect with the ABA litigation section on those platforms as well. But as much as I'd like to connect with you online, nothing beats meeting in person at one of our next litigation section events. So please make plans to join us for the Women in Litigation Joint CLE Conference as we highlight women leading for success in the courtroom, in the judiciary, and in the profession. The conference will take place November 1st through the 3rd in San Diego. To find out more and for registration information, go to ambar.org slash litigation. Click on that Programs and CLE tab to see all the events that are coming up. If you like the show, please help spread the word by sharing a link to this episode with a friend or through a post on social and invite others to join the show and community. If you want to leave a review over at Apple Podcasts, it's incredibly helpful. Even a quick rating over at Spotify, it's super helpful as well. And finally, I want to quickly thank some folks who make this show possible. Thank you to Michelle Oberts, who's on staff with the litigation section for her help, as well as our fabulous producer, Rich Rivera. Thank you, Rich. Thanks also goes out to my fellow co-chairs of the litigation section's audio content committee, Josh Jones and Tyler True. Thank you to the audio professionals from Legal Talk Network. And last but not least, thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.